All right. It's uh, we got we got a minute and a half until game time, and I want to start on time today because we get just there's just always so much to do. So can you find a spot to sit? All right. We're gonna oh, start with a prayer and then hit the road. Hit hit the ground running. Hit the road. We're not gonna hit the road. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you give us your love as a gift, and you teach us to love one another as you've loved us. We thank you for the gift of the love shown in your word, especially in Song of Songs. We pray that you would give us hearts to desire and seek the love that this song exalts. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. All right, so here's what's going to happen. I'm, we're going to, we got a bunch of introductory stuff to do right away, the main chunk of which involves listening to the Song of Songs. So I'm going to say a few things and, and, and ask you if you have any questions, but then before we do anything else, we need to listen to Song of Songs, okay? It's about 18, 18 minutes long. It's really manageable, but um, we're going based on the advice of a theologian, Robert Jensen, who wrote a commentary that... Um, I'm, I'm referring to quite a bit, but just by way of introduction then, briefly, take a look at what he says. Do you have, everybody have the handout? No? Let's get you a handout. Oh, perfect. There you go, Kathleen. Yeah, so t- take a look in the top. First, listen. Here's what Robert Jensen says. And this is, this is generally good advice. I struggle with this. I always want to read the commentary first before I actually read the text. But listen to what he says. Do not read the commentary on any poem before you have read the poem itself more than once and preferably aloud. And should you wish to join the church's long engagement with the song, let all be done with prayer for the love the song praises. Okay, so this is, this is going to be my homework to you. Pastor Melson may have other homework along the way, but you've got to read the song aloud once a week. Okay, 18 minutes. I think you can, you can probably pull that off, right? Maybe? Okay, give it a try and see, see how that goes. But the, the point of it is that it, as poetry, it's, meant to, it's not meant to be the subject of a lecture, right? It's meant to be heard and enjoyed for its poetry. But here's an, an important note about how to, how to listen to the song. Here's what Jensen says. We should read as if we were reciting in synagogue or at Eucharist, and only within the structure and rhetoric of such events let the song's apparent allusions play out. So what you'll notice right away, and you may know this already, is that the Song of Songs uh, sounds like what you might call, although I... I take issue with this phrase. You might call it secular love poetry. Secular because it doesn't mention God anywhere, right? So you might hear this in just about any context. But uh, for you, the exercise is going to be to think about hearing it in the context of the liturgy, at the Eucharist, kneeling at the rail. This is where you might hear this song, okay? And so let that inform the questions that you ask about it and... um, and how you appropriate it, how you take it to be your own, okay? Now, everybody have the big 11 by 17 sheet. This, uh, I'm I'm not, you know, this is some formatting magic here, what I I, I managed to pull off. It took took some time. Here it is, 117 verses, all on one sheet. I know it's small, 
I really tried, I wanted it to be bigger, but uh, bring your glasses, bring a magnifying glass. The reason, the point is it's really helpful. If, so for one thing, if you don't know how long it's going to be, it's really hard to listen, right? Because two minutes in, you might be going, is this, where, where in the overall flow of the thing are we? Is it going to end next minute or is it 20 minutes down the road, okay? So here you have, a, you have the big picture, the overall size of the poem. But you also see some other really interesting things. So notice that there are sections that are marked she, and then sections that are others and sections that are he, helpfully color-coded. And what I want to ask just real quickly is, do you notice any, do you see any pattern, any shape, anything stand out to you about the, the, the way these chunks are organized? Anything. Just what are your observations? Women talk a lot. Now, I wouldn't have put it that way, but you did. And so um, we'll go with that. Right, so red predominates. Okay, so this is, this is a, a lot of her talking. Okay, what else do you notice? Uh, take a look at, uh, just, at just in terms of the, uh, so you see right at the beginning, the second column is all her, right? Um, so this is a big chunk at the beginning that's all her, and then another uh, the big chunk that follows is him. But then towards the end, you have this more, it's more back and forth, right? It's more dialogue. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. It'll help you to follow the flow of the story because there is, in fact, a story that underlies this, a love story. It's not explicit. You, don't, you, can't, you couldn't say what the events are taking place, but the poetry you know, alludes to a story, and I want you to try and figure out what the story is. And here's another thing to punctuate it. Um, you might take a pencil or, or note this at the, in the second column, right where Song of Solomon 3, so the third chapter is, this is the beginning of uh, a dream, okay? So you have a bunch of conversation in the first column and it continues in the second column, and then column, at the bottom of the, third, of the second column, you have the beginning of a dream. So she's describing a dream. Then again, she does the same thing in the fourth column. Her first, her first paragraph in the fourth column is a dream. Do you see that? Yep, so, and you can, you can tell she gives you this clue. She says, on my bed by night. Okay, that's, that's number one. And then chap, this is chapter five, verse two. I slept, but my heart was awake. Okay, so two dreams. And note, pay attention to what's, what happens in those dreams versus what's happening in uh, her, her wakeful time. Okay? Uh, this was more commentary than I meant to give because we've got to listen to it first. Do you have any questions? Do you have any questions right off the bat? Okay, we have, there's so much more to say. We'll do it, but listen first, okay? Listen first. Oh, sorry, um, about this recording. I, it's, I, what I really wanted to find was a recording that had a male voice and a female voice uh, so that it would be obvious. Um, but of the recordings that I could find, all of them were very, what's the right, uh, schmaltzy, right? Um, <laughs> And I just can't bear that. So, so this is about me. I couldn't stand it. So, um, and then there was uh, there was always music in the background, which is ah, nah, we don't need that. Okay, and really bad music. So, um, so what you hear, what you're gonna hear, is the King James version, which is helpful because it's it's more beautiful language than the ESV. You'll still be able to follow. You'll still be able to keep to keep up. The King James version, and it's just a man, um, but he's a good re- he's a good he's good at reading poetry. 
Um, and he, you'll be able to tell just a bit of a difference when he's doing the, the male voice and the female voice. It's not, it's not exaggerated. That's the, that's the great benefit of this is it's not exaggerated. Okay? Ready? Here we go. Okay. So I'm curious. I'm, re- I'm really interested in what your reactions are. Is this, is, have you heard Song of Songs from beginning to end before? Read it? No? Read it? Not, never heard it? What do you think? What are your... Yeah, Kirby. The first thing I noticed was almost all of his observations about her, about how she loved. Yeah, that's right. And I was looking to see what she said about him. There's a small passage in the middle, which I think might be... I, I can't tell, but it seems like there's more some consummation of the love in the middle. So Maybe. He talks about his looks, what appears to be after they go to the... Interesting. So to me, it's all she's looking more about how he loves her and the, the what he creates. That's it. Yeah. Senses and things like that, as opposed to what he looks like. That, that's a little bit of it, but it's not all of it. Yeah, I think I think you're right to some to it, and we'll see this as we go throughout. She marvels regularly um, about the fact that. She is as her beloved's, and he is hers. Right? This is this is the thing that strikes her throughout the throughout the poem. But you're right. Um, his two main, his two big speeches, uh, or three three speeches that you see, you can see in them right there. They're observations about her appearance. Um, and what do you think about that? What's uh, flesh that out a little bit? That was a bad pun. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me about that, Krista. <clears throat> I think uh, I saw in this. I'm sorry. I saw in these poems different women. Different women, you think? Yeah. Okay. From different parts of, uh, because it was um, in, histo- in history that he had so many women. Oh, okay. So now, so if you suppose, if you suppose that this is uh, Solomon's autobiography, then you might think that, right? You might, you might, you might say, well, he, here he's observing all of the different women that he has, um, has had as his wives. Uh, so now. Just by way of uh, giving a little uh, prologue to the to the poem, it's not it's not self evident that Solomon wrote this, or even that it is about Solomon. So, the beginning of the poem starts like this: a song of songs, which is Solomon's. We, you, that word, which which is Solomon's, is a really specific way of translating a really ambiguous word, a word that can mean a lot of different things. So, it could be the song of songs that Solomon wrote, the song of songs that was found in Solomon's library, the Song of Songs that was inspired by Solomon, the Song of Songs that inspired Solomon, right? It could be, could be any of these things. And in fact, it is the um, anonymity of the characters that really, that, that really elicits kind of a, uh, a reflection on it in some ways, okay? So you might, it, might, it may be that there are lots of different characters involved here. And in fact, I'll, just another note, these, these headings, he, she, others, right, these are not in the text. We know we, we sort of extrapolate this because you can tell in Hebrew, you can tell whether the person speaking is a man or a woman, or t- you can tell to whom they're speaking, whether that, that is a man or a woman based on the way the words are formed. So they, the editors presume that if the voice is speaking to a man, it must be the woman, and, like, and vice versa. Okay? Aaron. Well, I guess, I mean, I, I guess I had a different impression. Like, I, I was struck more by the Right. Queens, the 80 concubines, the virgins without number. 
but then it says my dog, my perfect one, is the only one. And I don't know if that means the only one. It says the only one of her mother, but it just—it it sounded pretty expensive. That's right. I mean, he—he is—he is praising her uniqueness, right? He's saying she's not like she's not like everybody else. She's not like to, she is to me. She is unlike everybody else. And, and in fact, she says the same thing, right? The others ask her in chapter five, verse nine, "What is your beloved more than another beloved?" Right? And she answers the question. She says, "Here's what it is, Barb." I kind of want to take a step back. Please. First time I read this at all, and I got done with it, and I thought, why is this in the Bible? Great question. The Apocrypha, and there's so many books there that I, there was a criteria that they had when they put the books they put in. And I don't know specifically what that criteria was. I kind of have an idea, but... Um, I just don't understand. Yeah, so let me, let me, answer, let me talk, speak to that point just a little bit. So it's, we, we oftentimes really wish that there was a, a cut-and-dried line, right, and, and a set of criteria um, by which we could say this is in and this is out. It's, it, it's, not, it's not so cut-and-dried. Later, his, later history in the, in the Christian church sort of looks back and says, here are some reasons why these books are good and those books are not good. Luther looks back and says, you know, look, we're going to exclude some of these books because they were written in Greek and not in Hebrew. And these, and he says of like Tobit, he says, this is a great story, but it's not true. If it were true, that'd be fantastic, but it's not true, so it didn't, so it's not scripture, right? Song of Songs has been around, has been a part of the canon, has been a part of the scriptures that the Jews read and that the church read as long as we know. And, and that's, this, is what, this is really what testifies to books part, being a part of the Bible, is that the, the Jews used them as they were following God's, um, you know, God's covenant relationship with them, and then the church inherited these books and kept using them. So somehow or other, somehow or other, this book also contributed to the life of God's people. Um, it... it it's not the case that at some point somebody said, hey, I found this great book. Let's, let's see what it can add to things. It's just it was there. It was, it was a part of, the, part of the, the, the body of literature, what they were. It's passed down vocally. I mean, the father would tell his son. It's almost like I was kept trying to think of, Okay, how does the father introduce why? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, and and it, it you know it's it's true that that happens on an individual scale, but it happens m- more importantly on a community scale, right? So, they would in the synagogue they would read the scriptures, and among the among the writings that they had, this one was there. Now, now, so then now you're forced to put yourself into this mode of thinking. It's not just you know me sitting down with my son and saying, "Hey, let's read this poem," but it's the church getting together and saying. We're worshiping God. We're receiving gifts from God, and now let's read this. Let's read this poem, um, and that that's the that's the question that we really do need to engage. What you know? Wh- why would they do that? Why they were doing it? We know they were. Why? It's kind of like an expanded psalm. Yeah. Some sense and psalms have a lot of That's true. Yeah. We'll get. We'll talk about it some more. There's a lot more to say about it. Holly. Here we are. Okay. <laughs> Uh, just in light of like, what we talked about last year is, you know, God having female attributes and male attributes. You know, when you first read it, it sounds like a, a man and woman, but I think a lot of it sounds 
like um, Jesus or you know God as the woman and the, the man as Jerusalem who loves all beautiful things but then she can't huh. find him. Wow, okay. You know, she, she can't find him in her dream. Yeah. Like when Jerusalem turns away and then he compliments her about like how she's the perfect one, the only one of her mother, pure to her, born her, who bore her. And then she wants to show her. She, Jesus, you know, wants to bring her to his mother, her, to her mother's house where she just wants to be. Um, I don't know. And then, like, towards the end, it says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm for God and strong death. Jealousy is fierce as a grave. And she talk, he talks about how she's like a king, and her locks are like purple. I don't know. So that's really interesting, and we should uh, we should sort of reflect on that, and let's let's mull, mull that over as we as we go forward. I got to say, in so in the history of interpretation, um, which you know, whenever you read a commentary, there's always a section on here's how this has been interpreted in the past. I've not, I haven't seen that in any of them, which doesn't mean it's invalid. It just it just means for such a time as this, right? So. <clears throat> Yeah. So, I mean, predominantly what you see, what you see predominantly is uh, it's the relationship between God and his people Israel, or then in the Christian church, it's the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church, or, or uh, Jesus and Mary, right? Um, uh, or God, God um, and Mary uh, as representative of the church. Um, there is a sense, I think that you're... you're you make a, a helpful point, and we ought to we ought to think this through. Um, when we add these titles, he, she, um, we already are interpreting it, right? So in, it might be helpful to back up from that and, and test and test that out. So maybe that can be your homework, is Holly, is to test that out a bit and see how see whether it holds. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah, Jody. All right, I'm not as deep as Holly. <laughs> so I'm not there, but I do say that when I heard it read, I think it's in, I, I felt that it was in here because this pertains to today. It tells you how a man and woman should be together. Yeah. It tells you how they should treat each other. It, it's, it's stuck around this long because it's, it's true at any time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Same. It, it you so one it's one yeah at at face value it clearly uh, is a song that that wants to show us how praiseworthy love is good love not not uh, love gone wrong not disordered love but how praiseworthy love is and today with all the and that's it's relevant today I mean. You wonder if God just said, well, you're going to need this. That's, he certainly did. Um, well, you're going to need this to, to really clarify for you. And, it, and, and, and actually, it, so, I mean, it gets to the core of our human condition in the fact that um, it's, it's in the first place where love that goes wrong in sin, right? You know, we get all kinds of other things wrong, but the fact that we can't love, right, means we need instruction. We need to learn how to get this right. Um, and that's why, so that's, that's why, on the one hand, it's a romantic song because 
you know, marriage being the sort of pinnacle of the, the expression of self-giving love, but it also trickles down, right, into every, every mode of love. So you see on the one hand this sense of desiring the other, right? So loving somebody else for their whole person, right? Not just, not just saying, I want to use you for my purposes, right? You heard Pastor Nelson preach about this a few weeks ago. The opposite of love is not hate, it is use, right? So that's, one, that's where desire goes wrong when you say, I, want, I desire you for what you can do for me, right? As opposed to saying, I desire you because you're you. That's on the, on the one hand. On the, other, on the other side, we see the self-giving, the self-sacrificing love, um, both played out you know, purely here in this song, exalted by the song. Yes, Ellen. I'm just glad you had said at the outset to look at it as though it's the Eucharist and we're around the altar because how it sounded to me as we listened to it is God is seeing us through Christ as beautiful and perfect and as though each one of us is his only beloved. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, again, to Pastor Nelson's sermon in the same sermon, he would have done it just for you, right? Um, something, that, something that, you know, is unfathomable to us, that, we could, that, that you could have such love to love everybody so uniquely, and yet this is what, precisely what God does for you, right? He looks at you and says, you are mine and I am yours. Um, forget about everybody else for the moment. You are mine and I am yours. Let's, uh, let's explore a couple thoughts here and see what else, what else pops up. I, um, I wanted to offer you this distinction, a distinction between the ways that love goes wrong and the ways that the, the kind of love that is exalted in the song, um, primarily in terms of love, loving the whole person and using the person. So I was going to tell you, um, have you read Proverbs 7, but let me just read a, sec- a section for, it, for you here. Um, this is, this is the opposite of the Song of Songs. So here, Proverbs 7 is a father giving advice to his son about avoiding a prostitute, right? What ought you to do when you come across a prostitute? You ought to say, this is, this is forbidden. This is bad for me. And this is, I mean, it's an allegory also for, for generally uh, not loving things that are, or not pursuing things that are simply going to make use of you. So here's what, the, here's what the prostitute says to the son um, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. But the, the, the operative thing here is, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. How does that sound different or the, or the same? How does that sound different or the same from what you heard in, so- in Song of Songs? That expression, right, Lindsay? It's completely selfish, whereas they were delighting in each other. Yeah. And this is, let us, let us Right. So you've got, you've got the difference between um, two people desiring each other, and the, their, their love is the, you know, the vehicle by which that is conveyed, their desire for one another. Here in this, uh, in this scenario in Proverbs 7, you have love set, a, set apart as an object all by itself, which they're going to grab and 
make use of in whatever way they can, right? So it's not about one loving the other. It's about getting what they can from this union, right? Carol. There's a temporal difference. Sure. One is, I got an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's exactly right. Now, so this is, this is a, a critical point to think about love. We, we suffer in, in this world from um, the fact that all things come to an end, right? That there's, so uh, Robert Jensen talks famously about promises, right? So I can make a promise to you. I can say, I can say to my son, look, uh, when I get home, um, we're going to play ball outside, Right? I can make that promise, and, and hopefully I'd be good, on, good you know, in keeping that promise. But there are things that could come up, right? I could, be, I could be kept late. The ball could be popped. He could have homework, right? All kinds of things. I can only promise so much, right? There's a, there's a limit. There are contingencies on that promise. Um, we, get re- we get close to having promises that aren't contingent, promises that don't have any boundaries when we make promises in marriage, right? We say... I'm, everything that I have is yours, everything that you have is mine, um, but, but there is a contingency yet. What's that contingency? Death. Till death us do part, right? So um, we, we suffer from uh, a really constrained, restricted view of love, which is finite. So we say we know about ourselves, that we, we can't give eternally. Um, and yet we try, and we know that it's laudable. This is, why, this is why marriage is so praised. But marriage, even marriage, has an end to it, and it po- but it points ahead to this love that's not going to have any end, right? There's no sense of this in Song of Songs, right? Their delight for one another has no boundaries, right? And it's not just for an hour, and it's not, um, it's not temporary, and it's whole. It's complete. It's 100%. Um, and that's, you know, aiming at that is one of the reasons, that the fact that we ought to aim at that and we should delight in aiming at that is one of the reasons why Song of Songs is in the Bible, right? So that we can have this picture to hold before ourselves of how we should love one another, how, how all of our relationships should be formed, right? Because it's not just about marriage, it's about every kind of love. Um, they should be uh, formed in this way that has no boundaries, um, and, and acquiring that love is really what we're after. How do we, how do we get that? Right? So, we, so first, our hearts are formed to long for that love. Then we get to ask the question, how do we, how do we get that love? Right? Um, and that's what, that's what coming to church is all about. Right? Um, receiving, receiving love that transforms you. I was thinking about the, how the, there's this natural progression that we see in the, in the way love... Take, for instance, love stories. They play out in this way often. So you've got... You know, say, say you've got love at first sight, right? A man and a woman see each other. Um, and then they go through all kinds of trouble, obstacles, right? Things that are in the way. What, think of any story, any love story. Name a love story. Yeah, Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah, okay. So there's something in the way, and in the process, their love matures, right? So it began as this, this simple, pure desire, it matures into self-giving love, right? Even, and in Romeo and Juliet, tragically, of course, it involves giving everything, right, their lives for each other, um, for, for love that's going to come to an end. Um, but I was thinking about how the, how the best stories, I think, or at least some of the more interesting ones, are ones where love starts out in a disordered way. So somebody says, 
you know, it's not love at first sight, but it's, I'm going to make use of this person. I'm going to use this person. And that love, trans- love takes hold of them and transforms that desire, that disordered desire, into self-giving love. So, like, what are some examples of that? I haven't seen Pretty Woman in a long time, but I think that that's an example of that, right? Or, yeah, right, sure, yeah. But, I mean, it, it, points, it points to this, this remarkable character of love, that it's transformative, that it changes, uh, it, it has the potential to take even disordered desires and turn them into something pure and good, right? Um, and that's what, that's what God's love does to you. So he loves you and, and says of you, you are my beloved and I am yours. And then he takes your heart and works on it and lets you do the same thing to other people. Um, it's, it's miraculous and it's just utterly hopeful because um, without, without that, without that promise from God, I mean, we're bound to devastated relationships left and right, right? We might get some right. We might do okay now and again, but much of the time it's, it's going to fail, okay? Do you have any questions? There's more to say. Hang on for just a, couple, a little bit longer here. I wanted to um, give you a couple. Take a look at the bottom right of the page. I wanted to give you a couple of frameworks, biblically speaking, to think about Song of Songs. So... If you think about love stories in the Bible, this would be an interesting exercise. And if we had more time, we'd do it. You know, name the love stories in the Bible of every every variety, romantic and and otherwise, um, and and just sort of categorize them. Think about the characteristics of them. One of the, the the sort of primordial love story is Adam and Eve, right? No helper fit for Adam. Uh, God creates Eve from Adam's rib, and he sings this song. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? Um, So already in the beginning, we have this picture of how love is going to look. It's uh, broken not long after that, right? It It goes to pot immediately afterwards. But in Song of Songs, one way to think about Song of Songs is as the unfolding of that that love story, right? The expansion of that poem, the the conversation, the maturing of that love, okay? Um, because I mean, you we we don't see it played out, right? Immediately, so we we hear that they were naked and unashamed, and then chapter three comes, and they're tempted, and all of a sudden, there's a boundary between them, okay? So, Song of Songs helps us to see how that relationship plays out. It's also a really helpful, um, really helpful in the, the, sch- the scheme of Israel and God's love for them. So think about the, the different stories that you hear in the Bible of God expressing his love for Israel as the love of a husband for a bride. Can you think of any examples of that? Where do we see this in the Bible? God expressing his love for Israel as the love of a husband for his bride. Where does that show up? Hosea, Hosea right? Now does it turn out? It doesn't turn out, right? It's, it's, so I use the word devastated, which I think is a... I, I read this somewhere. Devastated romance. It's a great description of it, right? It's a devastated romance. Hosea loves his prostitute wife, Gomer. She goes and continues in her, in her behavior. And God, said, God uses this uh, prophetic parable, this lived-out parable, to describe his 
pursuit of his people, right? So he'll lead her even into the wilderness and woo her because he loves her so. But the romance is devastated. Okay, what else? Any other examples? The golden calf. The golden calf. It's a little bit similar because God took Israel out of Egypt. Right. There, there's something really, that's a great example because in Exodus, you might read, try reading Exodus this way sometime. Exodus as a marriage, as a wedding ceremony. So there's all kinds of things that happen in Exodus, like um, God leads Moses up on the mountain to, to make promises to him, right? Um, it's, think of it as a wedding ceremony sometime, and you'll, you'll see some of these facets, but then what happens right away? It's devastated, devastated relationship. We saw it, we read Ezekiel 16 last year. God says to Israel, look, I, I chose you from the moment you were born, and I brought you, and I fed you, and I cleaned you up, and I made you my wife, and then you went off and you married other men, right? It's a devastated relationship. So you can think of Song of Songs as the reversal of that. It's, a, it's the picture of, uh, of that relationship uh, made strong and, and lasting, okay? And it's in, it's in, so the reason why it's helpful is because it's in the same context. So here um, we, we hear all kinds of po- uh, poetry and God uh, describing his lamentations over Israel's unfaithfulness. And here you see what that poetry looks like when there is faithfulness, okay? Um, and finally, this is, this is uh, the reason why we ought to think about Song of Songs especially, and Jody, you get at it. It's relevant. It's eminently relevant for us today because Song of Songs serves to remind us of the divine character of, of every kind of love, right? Even sexual love, right? Even sexual desire, which is, I mean, it's all over the place in Song of Songs, right? And it becomes uh, this... Uh, this pinnacle of how every kind of love should work. And the reason why we need this is because, I mean, you know this, that the rest of the, the world has taken the language of love captive. So it's, you know, by and large, the, the church is sort of fearful of saying things that might be inappropriate or sound inappropriate. This is why we're often uncomfortable reading Song of Songs. I don't know. If it's exactly, I mean, so the, the church has often been ashamed of Song of Songs. Um, we don't read it in our lectionary on Sunday mornings. It never shows up. Um, and it, it, it has showed up in the church in the past, say, around festivals of the Virgin Mary. Um, but it's just little chunks here and there. Because the vocabulary seems shameful. It can appear shameful. But that's not the fault of the vocabulary. It's not the fault of the language. It's the way that the language has been misappropriated, taken and used for uh, disordered purposes, right? So this helps us to rescue the language of, of desire from the, from the realm of the taboo, right? So it's not something we can't talk about. It teaches us how to talk about it rightly. Um, it also t- helps us from letting the language of love become an idol, right? So what is, what is the purpose of talking about love? What is love for? It's for the other, right? This is what, this, it's not its own thing. It's not like the, the, um, the prostitute speaking in Proverbs 7. It's not its own thing, but it's for the other. Uh, both of which, you know, those two, those two poles are the, the extremes that the world takes love to. You see it everywhere, right? And I'm just, I, I'm utterly convinced that um, we have to speak uh, clearly and often in rich, beautiful language about love to rescue that, to rescue love from the world. All right.
It's ours. <laughs> Don't let them have it, okay? Do you have any questions? There's, okay, yeah, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, Pastor Nelson will be back next week with chapter one, I presume. So um, read it aloud if you can. Get ready for chapter one. Bring your questions. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you.